0: Hello and welcome to Haaretz Weekly. I'm Alison Kaplan-Summer in Tel Aviv. The judicial revolution that has been the top priority of Benjamin Netanyahu's coalition government and the widespread grassroots opposition to it has had many ripple effects. There are two leading professional groups in Israel under the protest umbrella that have drawn the most attention and concern – First, the decision by elite military reservists to withdraw from volunteer service, which is creating a national security crisis by affecting combat readiness and motivation in the IDF. And also worrying the high tech protests, warning signs that judicial overhaul has already had effects on Israel's economy. And if it moves forward, could lead to a massive withdrawal of foreign investment from the country and a high tech exodus of both companies and individuals. At the weekly demonstrations on Kaplan Street in Tel Aviv and around the country, there is a clear representation of the military and high-tech sectors. But there is also a third loud voice speaking out against the reforms from a place that some people might think is unexpected, the medical profession. They call themselves the White Coats protesters, and they are visible at demonstrations across the country and across the Israeli media. There is huge attention on this and concern that disproportionately doctors are talking about leaving the country. A recent poll showed that in the current situation, one in five young Israeli doctors and medical students don't see their future in Israel. Here to explain what's behind the situation and what can maybe be done about it is Dr. Hagai Levine, chairman of Israel's Association of Public Health Physicians and an outspoken figure in the protests of the healthcare workers against the judicial overhaul. Dr. Levine, or can I call you Haggai?
1: Sure, sure, Alison.
0: First of all, welcome to Haaretz Weekly. So just to give the listening audience a marker as to where we stand in this roller coaster of a saga, we're having this conversation, seven months since the overhaul was announced, months of opposition, hundreds of thousands in the streets opposing the overhaul. The first law in the package striking down the reasonableness clause was passed last month. We're now looking ahead to September, when Israel's Supreme Court will decide whether to uphold or strike down this first law. And then we're looking to October, when the Knesset returns from its summer and holiday break, and we'll see if the coalition decides to press ahead with the rest of the laws in the overhaul. Chagai. How soon after this overhaul was announced, this package of legislation, did it become clear to you that it would become an issue that would affect healthcare, or you would believe would be so important to healthcare? Was it like a sudden or obvious thing, or did it just slowly become clear to you over a period of time?
1: To me, it was clear at the moment when I, I saw Yariv Levine. Our no, justice no, minister. No family ties to <laughs> make it clear uh, when he announced on the 4th of January that he and the government are going to do a legal reform to take all the power to the government on the expense of the other authorities. It was clear to me as someone who is dealing with public health, this will harm public health in Israel tremendously. This is something we cannot live with. We know that we must have the balance between authorities, which in Israel is already in problem because the executive, the government and the parliament, the Knesset, are already too tied together. I've seen that in COVID. Whatever the government wanted to pass, easily they could pass it in the parliament without real supervision. Rarely there was some supervision from the court, so already in Israel. Democracy was in danger. We don't have a constitution. We don't have defense for human rights, for equality, and specifically enough for the right for health, not only for health services, but to you know to breathe clean air, to drink clean water, to make sure the decision also takes into consideration health issues. We in, in 2018 we joined a Supreme Court petition. When the roll-your-own tobacco was not taxed as it should, and the the Minister of Finance did not have any reason why not, and we saw an increase in usage of roll-your-own tobacco.
0: We, being the public health association, yes, yeah.
1: yes, and the and the Israeli Medical Association. So I, I saw then how much we need the defense of the court sometimes. Uh, so it was clear on the 4th of January that we are walking on ice that could break very easily. And it was also clear that this could lead eventually to constitutional crisis in Israel. I don't want to say civil war, but great tension because it's an attack on the public. I just want to remind you that this was one day before the court decision whether or not Aryeh Derry, a convicted criminal, could be the minister of health in Israel. Clearly, we doctors do not want a convicted criminal to be in charge on the health system in Israel. And the court, the next day, January 5th, decided that he could not be the Minister of Health. And I must tell that the Prime Minister did not say, okay, that's the court order, I will follow. He said, well, we'll see what we can do. And only after a few days, Derry retired from duty. And even then, the Director General Came to his house to get directions from him, which is illegal. So again, it was clear then. I went to the first protest the, the the next week, and this was very strange. This is called the umbrella protest. It was in under heavy rain.
0: I think it was officially what the second or third protest of the protest. Right, movement, right,
1: right, right, right. So, so I, I I did not go to protest even during COVID. I didn't go to protest. The last protest that I went. The Prime Minister of Israel was assassinated in 1995. So maybe for bad luck, I I (laughs) didn't go in general to protest. This time I went, I'm a known figure in Israel, many people came to me and I spoke with them, but I felt like I'm coming as an individual, although for me, it was coming for, for protection of public health. The next week, we established the White Coats Movement. This is a movement, grassroots movement of healthcare professionals, not only doctors, healthcare professionals from all disciplines for democracy in Israel. And this is the one thing that I'm the most proud of to be part of this movement because the white coats movement ever since for the last 7 months have been actively advocating for health and democracy in Israel and we have over 8000 volunteers that constantly remind the government that it's their obligation to protect our rights, including the health rights. And as you said, it's a roller coaster. Every week, something new, and we'll talk about it. But it's really the the sense in the beginning, the personal sense, that I was alone, and the next week, I was part of the group. That was very strong, and I'm very proud of my friends. The week after, I gave a speak at the ABIMA, which was very strong, to, to be on stage and what I shouted and the crowd repeated after me, there is no health without democracy. And I believe in that. In order for Israel citizens to be healthy, we need healthy government, healthy democracy, and this is what's on stake now. Uh, there's a,
0: a side aspect to that is that I don't think since this whole thing has started, anyone's felt very healthy, either physically or mentally. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the stress and strain and mental health of the tearing the country apart this way.
1: Definitely. First of all, we are working together very closely with the psychologists and mental health professionals for democracy in Israel. This is the body and the soul. It's very strong ties and, and it's inspiring to work together. Yes, we are under enormous stress by the way also the supporters of, of the reform and also the government is focusing solely on that the government is not taking care of the things the, the health system the mental health system and people don't sleep well at night the people the public and also the caretakers we we feel very bad and we are under stress And this already got its toll on on Israel. I must say, after passing the COVID pandemic, it's worse than the pandemic in terms of how we feel, in terms of what the future looks like. Because now there is internal disruption in Israel. And I met today, actually, the future dean of our campus at the Hebrew University. And he told me that he's afraid of speaking with people you know, friends, colleagues, who are supporters of the reforms because the tension is already tearing people apart, which is very, very sad.
0: You're a household uh, name in Israel, basically from your media appearances during the pandemic. You were a, a major voice in helping to shape and criticize policy during the COVID years. And you probably thought that would be the biggest challenge of your professional
1: career. I would surprise you. In a pandemic known from history, that after pandemics, there are many times aftershocks, geopolitical changes. And you can get my wife to tell you that I told her, I expect that we will have several very tough years in Israel. We are going to have unstable government, whatever side going to happen. And I knew, I knew that when the new government of uh, Bennett and Lapid, I knew that it's shaky. And I knew that when Netanyahu was reelected, that we are not going to have any quiet. And this is dangerous to public health we speak about the determinants of health. The geopolitical system is an important part of it. So in Israel, when we have such tension times, when the government cannot rule because of its internal problem, and it's now focusing solely on the reform and not on how to get things done in education, in finance, in in security, and in health, then we are going to see deterioration of the basic function of the systems. And we see that in hospitals. We see, you know, the crowding in hospitals is getting worse. The, the, the lack of prevention is getting worse. The municipalities, which actually function well, but the tension also goes there. We are now going to elections in the municipalities, in my town, Rehovot as well. You know, we don't see that we have this kind of solidarity and trust that is very important for public health.
0: So you mentioned Aryeh Dari, the head of the Shas party, who, as you described, his appointment to head the Health and the Interior Ministries was, um, was negated, was canceled by a Supreme Court ruling, which relied, among other things, on the Reasonability Clause, which... By coincidence, is the first law to have eh, been
1: maybe <laughs> not a coincidence, yeah, <laughs> have
0: been passed uh, by the Knesset, striking down the reasonability clause. It's going to be petitioned in September by a whole long list of parties, including a medical association.
1: Uh- yeah, I'm very proud. I must say, many people did not believe that the Israel Medical Association, which is a very conservative organization, and you know, is composed of. All the physicians, so obviously, you know, let's say about 50% of them supported this government. But uh, according to the polls, 80 to 90% of the physicians in Israel not only oppose the legal reform, but also call the Israel Medical Association to take active steps, including strike, including petition to the Supreme Court against this because they understand the vast majority of physicians in Israel that this endanger the health system. Many of the people just woke up and say, we just wake up. I must say personally, I was aware of it. I knew that the Kohelet Forum published, I think about three years ago, a plan to close the Israel Medical Association.
0: Right. The Kohelet Forum is the uh, conservative think tank, which is basically the architect of the judicial overhaul, which lately, by the way, has backtracked and said that they don't think it's such a good idea anymore because of the damage it's doing to Israeli society. Slightly too little, too late. But basically, you're saying that they had the medical association kind of in their line of fire from the beginning.
1: Right. And, and actually, what's in line of fire is professionalism. It's professionalism. Because I don't know exactly what they are aiming for. It seems like, you know, they are backed by tycoons that maybe in general don't want any regulation. And that's exactly the direct attack on public health. And you know, one of the first things that the government did, which was an election promise from Arya Deri to cancel the sugary drinks tax. So Israel joined... Over 80 other countries that decided to have a tax on sugary drinks. This is based on science. It makes a lot of sense. It prevents obesity, diabetes, and actually, you know, leg amputations, etc. And it was done by the previous government. And we actually saw a reduction of about 20% in consumption of sugary drinks, which is wonderful for public health in Israel. So the new government... Only because of political reasons does not make any sense against professionalism, against the advice of the Ministry of Health professionals, against the advice of the Ministry of Finance professionals, without any discussion, cancel the sugary drinks tax. Now, the largest TV network in Israel is owned by a company called Coca-Cola. So who knows what are exactly the hidden interest in that? So this is an example of a decision that is completely unreasonable. And they don't have justification. By the way, when you look at the decision to cancel, why? No reason. No reason. They couldn't even find a reason why to cancel. They said on a press release that this is to lower the price of living in Israel. But, you know, water is much cheaper than sugary drinks. And it didn't lower the price because the companies took the money for themselves and kept the same price. So it's only sent a message to the public, go drink sugary drinks. So again, this is just an example. And recently published on the the Lancet uh, uh, journal, a scientific paper describing what happened in Israel with the cancellation of the uh, reasonable uh, uh, clause. Uh, And we gave that as one of the examples. And if we have time, (laughs) I will give you other examples of exactly how the reform enabled the government to do things that are directly against the public health. By the way, amazingly, the first to pay the price will be the voters of this government because the ultra-orthodox parties and poor people in Israel vote more to this government and they will be the first to harm for their health. This is really unfortunate. It really breaks my heart to know how many people will pay with their lives because of what the government is doing now.
0: Right. You've said that when democracy is weakened, we cause severe damage to health issues in various ways. Give us some more examples because you know, it's not an obvious connection. Give us some more concrete examples. I can actually think of examples the other way. For example, when the government during the pandemic, you know, ordered the ultra-Orthodox uh, community to behave a certain way, they could turn to the courts, right? Or they could, you know, there, there's, there's a right of appeal either way. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. You
1: know, the court defended the right to go to a, a you know a, the the mikveh a religious uh, pool so so you know it's the rights of everyone not a specific group and i must say i am also a critic of the court the court many times did not defend enough the right of the people so it's not that we don't need to to do a change in the court we may need to do changes in the court what what is happening here is something else one of the issues for a scientist is to tell The truth to people with the power. So very simply, we should just remind, Prime Minister Netanyahu is currently under trial. And he said in 2008 that a prime minister under trial does not have the mandate to make decisions because he's in conflict of interest. And Netanyahu actually violated his own conflict of interest. That... that you know, the court told him in two thousand and twenty when they said that he could run for election to be Prime Minister, but if he will not put his hands into legal reform and that what he's doing. So again it's it's a very complex story, but in the end it's very simple. As Lord Acton said
0: power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely.
1: Right, right. So so that's what is going on in Israel right now. And with the health issue, so I just saw today again, the oath of the Israeli physician from 1952, which I swore when I uh, became a, a physician. And one of the issues there, it said to take care of the illness of the public. Now it does not refer to specifically to a disease. What we are seeing now that the reform is tearing apart the Israeli people.
0: When I've talked to economic experts about the potential damage that the overhaul can do to the economy, they say that they've been warned by their counterparts, by their colleagues in countries like Hungary and in Poland, how the deterioration of democracy has harmed their economies. Is there a parallel in healthcare? Do you have colleagues in countries, or is there research uh, done, that in countries where democracy has been harmed, that the healthcare system has been harmed?
1: So there are several studies. We just did a literature review and we found you know dozens of studies that show on specific countries and also comparative studies in 96 countries etc a- 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 and i agree that the association is a bit complex okay sometimes it's it's not straightforward it's not a linear uh, a relation but in general when you weaken democracy when you weaken the protection the balance between the different authorities and the protection of the public health by the court, you see a a deterioration of longevity. You see an increase in uh, uh, inequalities in the country. You see an increase in uh, infant mortality. So depending on the studies, you see an increase in mental health issues. And yes, we had a a webinar with Martin McKee, which is a a known public health figure uh, uh, globally and with scholars from Poland and Hungary. In other countries. And yes, you see that when democracy weakened, you see an impact on public health. In Israel, it's even more than that. Some of the ministers are in favor of discrimination of women. They did a, a, a conference on um, female reproduction and they did not allow women, physicians, to speak at the conference. We, we published a report that discrimination against women actually harms health because also how they feel, they got more, you know, like uh, uh, myocardial infarction and, and, and tension and you lose the ability for them to develop. So you can show on specific things how it will affect. But if you look at the overall picture, what we already see in Israel, that now, you know, for for my friends, I have done a fellowship in Mount Sinai, New York, great times. I have family in New York. I could easily stay in New York City. Really wonderful city, I must tell you. But it was clear to me that I want to raise my children in Israel.
0: So let's talk about the doctors uh, moving. So an August 6 poll showed that 38% of respondents of young doctors and medical students said that they plan to leave Israel at the end of their training. 20% they'd permanently relocate, 7% they said they'd leave for a fellowship, and 11% they weren't sure what they're going to do at the end. And there are other reports of far more senior and experienced doctors like yourself, who I'm sure are very in demand uh, abroad, uh, seeking what's called now relocation. Um, there's been a lot of black humor about it. People joke that when a Jewish state can't hang on to its doctors, you know you're in trouble. And there was this cartoon that went viral of an airplane uh, with a loudspeaker saying, Is there a doctor on the plane? And everybody there. Uh, From
1: Biderman in Arez, right. <laughs> it was a, a, a great cartoon. And I must say, first of all, for me personally, I truly don't have any other country. I truly want to raise my children here in Israel. I think that we, we need to fight. For our country, for Israel to stay democratic state, but I totally understand people that also in the past there were good reasons to to you know stay working in the U.S. or Canada or, or in other countries.
0: There was already an issue of a brain drain in the medical right, profession. Right, this right. isn't brand new or anything. It just seems right. to be a catalyst, right. But the right?
1: balance, the balance, like you said, the catalyst. But the balance is now completely turned because many people f- say. We cannot raise our children in a state that is not democratic. We could not provide the kind of health care that we expect in a country where, where, you know, the ministers are calling out loud for discriminations against homosexuals, against women, against Arabs. We cannot work in a health system where the minister of health is not obliged to be reasonable. You know, just imagine. Imagine. And, and in public health, by the way, it's the worst because in public health, you work closely with the minister and you cannot trust the minister to make reasonable choices. So that, that's really horrible situation. And it's very true. We have to understand. I, I you know, I, I came to, to look at the WhatsApp groups. There are thousands of Israeli physicians who are now seriously considering and checking the steps. How to work in other countries. They are in high demand all over the world. They are known for, you know, to be great doctors and researchers. And also, much easier for Israeli students, and about 60% of the Israeli new physicians studied abroad. So many of them, already in the past, but now much more, will stay and work in other countries. My friends who are already in fellowship. In, in the US or Canada or Australia, they are now extending their fellowship because it's they feel it's not a good time to go back to Israel.
0: The director General recently just basically sat down and, and put out a please stay call, and he's not a you know liberal guy.
1: right, right? So for him, I must say, you know now you wake up. We told you seven months ago that this is what's going to happen. Now, ministers in Israel are calling. Physicians are calling pilots who, you know, sacrificed their lives for the country, are calling them to get out, tell them that we will take your license, calling them, you know, cockroaches and, and pass, You know, it, it's horrible how physicians are treated. And again, my response is not to respond to that and not to leave, but to fight here. But I can understand why people feel that they don't want to live here.
0: So just like the military reservists are being attacked for taking their life and death skills and politicizing them, you know, those are the accusations in a very similar way. And you're used to this because even when uh, doctors want to strike for better uh, work conditions, they run into trouble. But they're saying, you know, these are lives you're you're your job is to save lives. Um, You should not be sacrificing it on the altar of politics. And so therefore, when doctors talk about mass resignations, when they talk about hunger strikes, when they talk about massive strikes, even when there was a very symbolic two-hour partial strike uh, in protest of the reasonability vote, there was a lot of a tax on the medical profession for sacrificing their professional responsibility on the altar of politics. When people accuse you of something like that, how do you respond?
1: First, I listen. I must say it's a complex issue. It's very difficult to go on the strike. We are doing our best to minimize the harm to individuals, to people uh, who are supposed to get treatment. It's, It's very difficult decisions. But I must say, and it's very clear to me, and actually I told you I went back to the ethical rules of the israel medical association there are rules about strikes and there are also the general oath and our oath is to protect public health everywhere medicine is a social issue i work at the school of public health and community medicine this is preventive medicine when i go to the protest or even when we go on strike, it's like when you are treating a cancer with chemotherapy, you want to, to make the, the dose as low as possible, for, for the shortest time as possible, and it's bad. You would want not to use chemotherapy, but still, this chemotherapy, this strike, is needed to prevent a much greater danger. And I must say, when we go on strike, it's not a strike that we don't do anything. We go to protest, and and. I told you we went back to the oath. That's exactly what we are obliged to. And by the way, to be silent when the government is doing illegal things against the people that are ruining the country, this is political. So unfortunately now for everyone, you cannot you know sit on the fence, but you are forced to make decisions. And I am very proud of the vast majority of the Israeli physicians and healthcare professionals who have now realized that they could not continue only to do their wonderful job that they are treating the patients, but they're owed to society to raise their voice. And you know, when we speak now, the government is doing every week things that are harmful to the people. So the Minister of Finance stopped the medical treatment financing for refugees from the Ukraine. You know, the very poor people that ran away from Ukraine here And are getting treated for the diabetes or whatever. On Thursday, it stopped. And they were kicked out of the hospital. So now, you tell me, someone who is telling us that we are political. Aren't we supposed to protect our patients? So my answer, we are doing that to protect our patients. This is our obligation. That's what we have to do. It's not for a democratic or republican or delikud or avoda. It's not for a, a specific party. It's for human rights. And yes, human rights is political. Health is political. Bread, the the price of bread, as it said, is political. And being a physician, it's your obligation to protect the people. Do we have
0: to worry that while people like you are so focused on this issue, you are not uh, drawing conclusions from the lessons of the COVID-19 pandemic, following what's going on with it, and preparing for the next one?
1: Definitely. I think that what's happening now, as as you said, not only that we don't sleep well, we are occupied. And not only the physicians, the scientists, the public, everyone from all sides.
0: Does I just have to point out the leader of our protest movement, Sheik Mabresler, is a scientist.
1: Right. And, I, you know, I just met yesterday my friend from, from school who came back from a, a sabbatical in, uh, in Canada, is a professor of physics like Shikma in the Bateman Institute of Science. And not only that they told me, that two of planned postdocs from different European countries canceled coming to Israel because of the situation, which is, again, unbelievable, very bad. And not only that he's now, you know, he came back, he's now thinking how he can protect democracy in Israel. It's very difficult to do research and to write new grants when you are busy with that. So it's not only about the scientists, everyone in Israel, and the government itself, instead of doing things in order to promote the general good, they are occupied all the time with the reform, which, again, we have to say, the very clear issue, it's not intended to improve the legal system in Israel. Clearly, everyone agrees that you need more judges in Israel, there are not enough judges not only they are not doing nothing they did not even summon the committee to actually elect new judges, which it's actually illegal, what Yariv Levin the justice minister is doing, he's supposed to get whatever he thinks, he's supposed to get the committee and to choose new judges he's not doing that, so Israel is now for a few months in a block of instead of promoting life in every aspect, in COVID and in science and in health and in education, is busy with that, which is actually aimed to protect the freedom of one person Benjamin Netanyahu.
0: I was fascinated by your remark earlier in our conversation about predicting, expecting political aftershocks after the pandemic, because it feels like there's kind of long-term effects, maybe a form of long COVID of the atmosphere of conspiracy theories, of half truths, of not believing what people are saying that began or flourished in the COVID era that's sort of, you know, continuing into this time of debate over the judicial overhaul.
1: Well, at least as the Chinese says, we are living in interesting times. And, and I want to say, in the sense, I listen to the criticism. I don't ignore it. You know, I'm checking myself what I'm doing right all the time. I'm thinking about policemen. Mm-hmm. You know, policemen. Imagine being a policeman in Israel. Also, the police. Right. Instead of fighting crime, they are busy in protecting the public. During demonstrations, and that's the, their duty to protect the public. Yes, also to protect the order in general, and this is very, very difficult. And you know, we established a first aid volunteer for people are in the, in the demonstrations, and we also to treat policemen if they get wounded, and and we sometimes see the violence the unjustified violence of policemen, that's also happened. But I, again, I must say I'm looking that in the public health point of view, how we protect the general good. And unfortunately, it's very difficult in this tension area. I I can only hope that, you know, sometimes like like in a, in a disease, sometimes we will have the recovery phase later on. And we physicians and, you know, health takers will have a great role in this recovery phase. Uh, I had the best times when we really had serious discussion at the Hebrew University, had the Israel Medical Association, and in Gan in Jerusalem, serious discussion between different people, including the uh, uh, supporters of the of the reform, and we really talked. And I must say that the real tension is not between the people; it's be- it's with the politicians, and to me, with corrupted politicians that are actually using the country assets for their own benefit.
0: So speaking of politicians, in 2021, you stepped down for a time in your role as chairman of the Association of Public Health Physicians to join the Telem Party, which was run by former defense minister Bogi Ya'alon, who is... Omnipresent at these demonstrations these days. And in your resignation letter, you said, quote, in light of the utter failure in the decision making process by the political echelon while breaching public trust at that time, you were referring to the pandemic. I became convinced that we need doctors and scientists to have the courage to integrate into the national leadership in order to establish decision-making as a process based on professional considerations. You lasted a very short time in politics because of the fate of the Telem Party. Is politics something you're still interested in?
1: My aim is to protect the public health in Israel and, if possible, also in other countries. And this analysis is still true. The power is of the people, but... The politicians have a lot of power, and it's it's time of climate change and pandemics and legal reforms. We need scientists and physicians in politics.
0: And according to your research, a decline in sperm count globally, 50% decline in the past 50 years, right? So
1: what I'm saying, when when we epidemiologists, and in in our study, we found a remarkable 50% decline in sperm count Globally.
0: Which you said has broad implications for the survival of the human species. So is that putting our uh, judicial reform debate in perspective, if we're talking about the end of humanity? I I
1: think everything is connected. Policies that is based on science, that is aimed for the public good, is aimed for everyone, for equality, including one health approach, including for animals and the environment. And yes, we need to replace the corrupted politicians, who are only taking care of themselves, with people that take care and care about our future, about our children, about our one world, earth, which is, you know, is collapsing because of the pollution and, you know, the earth would survive. But we humans will not necessarily survive. So yes, I have this dooms feeling. I'm not saying that this is 100% sure. But even if it's only 5%, we need to do things to prevent it now. And the way to do it is through science, but also through politics. So my analysis still there, that we need to change the politicians and also to change the politics because what, what is really happening? And actually, I, I spoke with people that are very close to, to Netanyahu. is really disconnected from the people. He's living in a bubble He doesn't really know, and he said personally that he doesn't follow the news, he does not have a credit card, does not have a phone, he does not speak with normal people. So everything is filtered to him. And this is just an example, it's not only here. So we need politicians that are connected to the people. So I don't know what will happen with me. I don't have any specific plans. I love my research. I love doing public health. I would love to focus on them. Actually, I'm very interested in innovation. In, in health and how to use you know new technology to promote health. I think that we are not doing that enough. We have, you know, great new technologies which are used for selling people's stuff and very rarely for how to improve people's health. So we have a lot of work to do. Well
0: here's to you having more time to devote to your pursuits in search of better healthcare solutions and innovation and less on the streets fighting political battle.
1: I want to to finish maybe with the optimistic thing when I I meet people and when I'm on stage and speaking, I'm always speaking about public health in the sense. And now it seems that people woke up. They are now more receptive to understand the connection between politics and health. And I hope in Israel and in other countries that we will not only prevent, but also recover to a better new future.
0: Dr. Hagai Levine, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you, Alison.
0: And that wraps things up for Haaretz Weekly. Thanks to my guest, Dr. Hagai Levine, to my producer, Amir Factor, and my editor, Nara Malkin. I'm Alison Kaplan-Sommer, and until next week, shalom from Tel Aviv.